Welcome to the Improved Credit and Finance Show. This is Wanda Strickfaden, owner and founder of Improved Credit here in the Carolinas. A very special guest, his name is Trace Widener. He is with EXP Realty and the Launch Real Estate team. I would like to talk to my audience about the top five questions you should ask an agent before hiring them to help you either with a purchase or with selling your home. And I really feel like this would really be knowledgeable for those that are listening to take on these questions and really ask this your agent if they have the experience necessary to help you find your home or sell your home. So Trace, the first question I have for you, are you a part-time agent or is this your full-time career? It's my full-time career. And I believe very strongly that the best agents out there do this full-time just because we're always available for showings. We're always available for negotiations. And especially when timelines are running close to, you know, deadlines in a transaction that need to be met, um, you need to be available. And being available on the weekends, on nights, um, you know, whenever it is, um, it's just very important that you don't have an agent that's held up somewhere else during one of those very um, important times. Now, are you a solo agent or do you work as a part as part of a team? I work as part of a team. Um, that's another thing I think, and it's not a knock to um, any solo agents out there because there are great solo agents, but it's just something to keep in mind when you're considering an agent, in my opinion, is do they work for a team? Because if they do, no one knows everything. And having more heads to bounce things off of is always a great resource. And there's probably a team leader that is a part of that team that's pretty much an expert in real estate. And at the end of the day, if maybe your agent doesn't have the answer, at least someone on the team or especially that team leader will probably have that answer for you. Also, if something did happen and they didn't have the time, there are other members of the team or that team leader that can assist in the transaction. Well, that's good to know. Now, do you understand what needs to be evaluated at a home when we meet for first showing, other than just other than just what I like about it or if I want to buy it? Absolutely, because real estate agents are not salesmen. We are not there to sell someone a house, and any agent that has that mentality has the wrong mentality. Um, it is our fiduciary responsibility to actually look at those things. Now, let me make it clear, we are not contractors, we are not home inspectors, so you cannot expect us to know everything and find everything that could potentially be wrong with a home. But for example, when you're out there, taking a look at the HVAC, the water heater, the furnace, looking at the sticker and seeing what year they were installed, looking at the condition of them, looking up at the roof and seeing if there are any visible problems with it, lots of wear and tear, or that it looks old. Uh, Just eyeballing things like that to at least help out with helping someone make the purchase. Because I always say, I will actually talk you out of purchasing a home before I give you the reasons that I'll talk you into purchasing the home. It's more important to me that you find a home that is suitable for you, that is not going to cost you thousands of dollars after moving into it, than to me to just make some sale. I am here to provide you with the best service possible and give you a home that not only you can fall in love with, but that is, you know, a a great space for your family and not a nightmare. So. So Trace, walk me through that process. 
let's say I find a home and it's, it was built in 1986 and, you know, it's been on the market for 70 days. You notice that there was a, a, a contract on it previously, but then it was withdrawn within two weeks. What kind of research are you doing as a, as my real estate agent to help me figure out if this is the property that I should even look at? Well, especially since you said back on market after being under contract, one of the first things I'm going to do is get a hold of that listing agent and find out why. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, if there was an inspection done and there was an inspection report shared with the listing agent and the seller, I'm going to get a hold of that inspection report so that we can actually see what the issues were. Um, A lot of times contracts can fall through only because of financing. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong with the house. But if we don't go and do that investigation, we don't know for sure. Also, is that is that part of your job as a real estate agent is to figure out why someone withdrew from their contract? Or do you do that as an added benefit to your buyer? I wouldn't say it's in the job description, but in my opinion, it is part of my job just because of the importance of it. It Again, it's what they call that fiduciary responsibility, and that is finding everything out that you can for your client. It is very important to find out and give them as much information as possible. And if there's something that you know could be a major problem for them, then they need to know that because... Not only is that going to be detrimental to them, but it will be detrimental to you as an agent as well in the long run if you are not servicing people properly. Okay. So. Now, have you had an example of that where you were able to get a, a listing agent to explain to you why they withdrew and it had nothing to do with financing? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I was it. just looking at a house recently with someone It had been on the market um, for quite some time, I think around 59 days at the time Mm -hmm. of viewing. And it was a great house. Like everything about it looked fantastic. And I could not honestly figure out what was wrong with it. So I got a hold of the listing agent um, to get as much information as I could. And I was actually provided with, um, you know, the, the previous inspection report. Now, the inspection report actually looked great. It was one of the better inspection reports I've seen as of late. But there was also um, a finding of termite activity on the property. Okay. Now, that's pretty common in North Carolina. And as long as it's not a complete infestation, it's something that can be t- taken care of pretty easily. But it is something that scares people away. So I was able to find that out. And, um, you know, it's my duty then to give that information to my buyer so that they can be informed. And then at that point, it's their choice whether they want to continue on with potentially making an offer and purchasing this home or not. But it is my duty. Absolutely. It is in the job description for me to provide because at that point, it's something that they would call material fact. Okay. So it's not only the listing agent's duty to disclose that, right? Absolutely. but it's also the, the buyer's agent's duty to look into that. Yes, 100% okay. on both sides. Um, I mean, I definitely think it weighs on the listing agent a little bit more because right. they're supposed to be taking a look into a lot more info about the property. But a good buyer's agent is going to do just as much, for sure. Have you had an experience with a buyer where they put a due diligence down earnest money deposit down and the deal just did not go through because of the inspection. 
I have, yes. And it Tell does. me more about that story. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, on the outside, which is why I stated before, we are not general contractors and we are not inspectors, mm-hmm. um, but everything looked pretty solid. Um, but when it came to the inspection, there were several things that came back that were concern to mm-hmm. the buyer and they wanted to negotiate and they wanted quite a bit um, in the seller's market, which is, is tough to negotiate. Oftentimes we can negotiate because most people don't want to put their home back on the market, but there are sellers out there who will refuse to negotiate. And, you know, it just wasn't smooth in the negotiations. The listing agent wasn't cooperative. There were things that we felt should have been disclosed, but were not disclosed. And at the end of the day, I actually was able to negotiate almost $20,000 in repairs, but the sellers, or sorry, the buyers actually still at that point didn't feel comfortable anymore just because Mm -hmm. of how the negotiations went and how long Mm -hmm. it took to get there. And they just ultimately decided to walk away from the purchase and lose that due diligence. They felt that that was a better decision at that point than moving on with that transaction. So yes, I mean, it does happen. Um, I would say doesn't happen to me a lot, but mm-hmm. if you don't have the right agent, um, it could happen to you a lot more. Well, you know, the the key factor is, is that you were able to negotiate it down $20,000. So it would have cost about 20000 to repair uh, the, the situation. Am I right? Yes. Uh, in this specific scenario, it was a, a VA loan and they only okay. allow 6% of the purchase price to mm-hmm. go towards repairs from the like seller concessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just to prevent VA loans from being like flips because they don't, that's not what a VA loan is meant for. Mm-hmm. Um, so 20,000 was as much as I could actually get them. Um, and I would say it would have gotten pretty close to making all the necessary repairs, at least anything that was a major issue. Right. Okay. So um, I want to basically talk about a success story. Could you tell me about something that you've experienced recently that it seemed difficult from the beginning, but at the end, very end, it turned out exactly the way the buyer was, was hoping for. Yeah, for sure. Um, actually the most recent couple that I got under contract um, when I was first getting to know them, they did not know much about this process. They had moved to the USA in 2001 and bought a home and had not really dealt with anything in regards to purchasing or, or selling a home since then. And um, they just had no idea what was going on. And mm-hmm. at first it was very tough. Uh, we were all over the place. They wanted something one day that they didn't want the next. We had an offer out on a home that almost got accepted. And thankfully we pulled it in time that, that it did not because they ultimately decided that's not what would be the best for them. But we just kept working diligently to find their dream home. And it was tough because they wanted a nice older home with a lot of acreage. And there's just not a ton of that around this area. And um, I kept, you know, working hard on it. We were out at showings one night and one of them got canceled. And instead of just giving up and going home, I was like, let me pull up what's in this area. Maybe I can find us some other houses to go to. Mm -hmm. And I found us two more houses to go to. And the second one that we went to, it was a little bit of a drive and we almost decided that it wasn't worth it. But we said, you know what, let's just go. It looks pretty good. 
uh, in the pictures and like it has some potential. So we drive out there and it's exactly what they were looking for the whole time. Um, there, we got a lucky situation where they had just posted pictures of the property. So they hadn't had a, a lot of showings yet because they didn't have pictures before. And we were one of the first ones in there. So we went right home. Um, and this is the full-time agent part. I went home, I filled out the offer. Um, I, I advised them on what terms I thought would shut the show down to prevent anyone else from being able to get in that door. And we got a call 45 minutes later and they got their dream home um, for a great price and all in one night unexpectedly when we didn't even have a plan to you know look at that house and they cried on the phone and those are the times where you know this is the most rewarding but had i not gone back and you know got on that right away communicated with the listing agent to let him know an offer was on the way then we may have ended up in a competition for the house and who knows how it would have went from there so so this is interesting you mentioned terms that were just you couldn't you couldn't terms. Give me an example in your experience, what kind of terms kind of put you to the edge where they were able to say, yes, I want, I'll take this contract. I'm going to accept it. Yeah. Um, well, these were cash buyers, so that okay. certainly helps. Um, cash is very powerful very at any time because it's, it's a safe transaction. Um, mm -hmm. The seller does not have to worry about a loan potentially falling through for some reason right. and having to put their home back on the market. Um, but if there's not cash involved, then any amounts of cash that can be put down in deposits to make that a stronger deal. And that's where the terms start to come in, which is like the North Carolina due diligence uh, fee that you pay uh, for the seller to take the home off the market. You have time to inspect it and decide whether you want to continue on with that purchase or not. Those higher deposits right now in this competitive market are what is most often winning an offer or shutting the show down before you know others can have that opportunity um, because it, again it creates a safety net for the seller they know if someone puts down a large amount of cash on the house that they're probably not going to walk away from that um, mm -hmm. so those terms are very important and then just quicker closings um, not asking the seller to pay for things you just can't do that in a seller's market, which is what we're in right now. And um, you just have to make it the most attractive offer possible with great terms, shorter due diligence periods. But that's where if you're going to shorten a due diligence period, because that's the amount of time you have to inspect the house before mm -hmm. you would also lose your earnest money deposit. You have to have the right agents that's going to be willing to tell you you shouldn't put a high due diligence on this house because it's going to have a lot of things come up in the inspection. And if you choose to put down $20,000 on this house, and then there's all these things wrong with it, you will lose that $20,000. And you have right. to have an agent that's willing to be honest with you about the potential for losing it and willing to walk you away from a house that might lose you that great amount of money. So, yeah. Now, I also want to talk about working with an investor, because we're talking about you know, those that are interested in purchasing either their first home, second home, et cetera. But what about working with an investor, someone who's interested in renovating, rehabbing a home? Have you had experience in that realm? Absolutely. Um, and my team leader helps out a lot with that, which again is why being part of a team 
I think is is very beneficial both for an agent and for someone who has is hiring an agent um, is just having that extra knowledge and yeah I mean we we know enough about working with investors to you know get them to sign on to to work with us ex- exclusively and it is a different realm I mean they're looking to make a profit on the purchase so if they're going up on against people on properties that are just looking for a home to live in mm-hmm. and there's a hundred buyers for every house that's listed right now, then that multiple offer crazy situation is not always the best option for them because they're having to pay more than, you know, what they should to make that profit that they need to make. So sometimes it's about having that right agent that's going to take a look at, you know, the properties that have slipped under the radar that aren't a mess, but maybe just need a little bit of TLC and could then be put on the market for a pretty considerable profit. And, um, you know, it really depends on what kind of work they're willing to do. There are investors that want a a home that's ready that they don't have to do much to. And there are investors who want to take a home that's almost falling apart and rehab it entirely. And um, you just have to to have the knowledge and the strength. Um, so I think investors, they really should focus, especially on having an agent that works with a team so that they have more heads um, and more people to depend on. Because okay. when you're investing money like that in real estate, it's very important that you're making wise decisions. If you're going to rent the property out, that they provide rental comps. If you're going to resell the property, that the agent shows them what kind of uh, profit they're going to make what homes are selling for in that area that are comparable and are updated. Providing all this information to an investor is very important. Um, you have to gain their trust and they need to know that their, their, their ultimate goal is to make money and they need to know they're going to do that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this call today for my audience and join us again next week to listen to more of real estate and, you know, about basically about purchasing properties in the in the market today there's so much to learn so i want to thank you again and i will talk with you soon all right thank you for having me you're welcome Welcome to the Improved Credit and Finance Show. This is Wanda Strickfaden, owner and founder of Improved Credit here in the Carolinas. This very special guest his name is Trace Widener. He is with EXP Realty and the Launch Real Estate team. I would like to talk to my audience about the top five questions you should ask an agent before hiring them to help you either with a purchase or with selling your home. And I really feel like this would really be knowledgeable for those that are listening to take on these questions and really ask this your agent if they have the experience necessary to help you find your home or sell your home. So Trace, the first question I have for you, are you a part-time agent or is this your full-time career? It's my full-time career, and I believe very strongly that the best agents out there do this full-time just because we're always available for showings, we're always available for negotiations, and especially when timelines are running close to you know, deadlines in a transaction that need to be met, um, you need to be available. And being available on the weekends, on nights, um, you know, wh- whenever it is, um, it's just very important that you don't have an agent that's held up somewhere else during one of those very um, important times. 
Now, are you a solo agent or do you work as a part as part of a team? I work as part of a team. Um, that's another thing I think, and it's not a knock to um, any solo agents out there because there are great solo agents, but it's just something to keep in mind when you're considering an agent, in my opinion, is do they work for a team? Because if they do, no one knows everything. And having more heads to bounce things off of is always a great resource. And there's probably a team leader that is a part of that team that's pretty much an expert in real estate. And at the end of the day, if maybe your agent doesn't have the answer, at least someone on the team or especially that team leader will probably have that answer for you. Also, if something did happen and they didn't have the time, there are other members of the team or that team leader that can assist in the transaction. Oh, that's good to know. Now, do you understand what needs to be evaluated at a home when we meet for first showing other than just other than just what I like about it or if I want to buy it? Absolutely, because real estate agents are not salesmen. We are not there to sell someone a house and any agent that has that mentality has the wrong mentality. Um, it is our fiduciary responsibility to actually look at those things. Now, let me make it clear, we are not contractors, we are not home inspectors, so you cannot expect us to know everything and find everything that could potentially be wrong with a home. But for example, when you're out there, taking a look at the HVAC, the water heater, the furnace, looking at the sticker and seeing what year they were installed, looking at the condition of them, looking up at the roof and seeing if there are any visible problems with it, lots of wear and tear, or that it looks old. Uh, just eyeballing things like that to at least help out with helping someone make the purchase. Because I always say, I will actually talk you out of purchasing a home before I give you the reasons that I'll talk you into purchasing the home. It's more important to me that you find a home that is suitable for you, that is not going to cost you thousands of dollars after moving into it, than to me to just make some sale. I am here to provide you with the best service possible and give you a home that not only you can fall in love with, but that is, you know, a, a great space for your family and not a nightmare. So Trace, walk me through that process. Let's say I find a home and it's it was built in 1986 and you know, it's been on the market for 70 days. You notice that there was a, a, a contract on it previously, but then it was withdrawn within two weeks. What kind of research are you doing as, a, as my real estate agent to help me figure out if this is the property that I should even look at? Well, especially since you said back on market after being under contract, one of the first things I'm going to do is get a hold of that listing agent and find out why. Um, mm -hmm. also if there was an inspection done and there was an inspection report shared with the listing agent and the seller, I'm going to get a hold of that inspection report so that we can actually see what the issues were. Um, a lot of times contracts can fall through only because of financing and, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong with the house, but if we don't go and do that investigation, we don't know for sure. Chase, also, is that, is that part of your job as a real estate agent is to figure out why someone withdrew from their contract or do you do that as an added benefit to your buyer? I wouldn't say it's in the job description, but in my opinion, it is part of my job just because mm -hmm. of the importance of it. It Again, it's what they call that fiduciary responsibility. And that is finding everything out that you can for your client 
It is very important to find out and give them as much information as possible. And if there's something that, you know, could be a major problem for them, then they need to know that because not only is that going to be detrimental to them, but it will be detrimental to you as an agent as well in the long run if you are not servicing people properly. Now, have you had an example of that where you were able to get a, a listing agent to explain to you why they withdrew and it had nothing to do with financing? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I was it. just looking at a house recently with someone. It had been on the market um, for quite some time, I think around 59 days at the time mm-hmm. of viewing. And it was a great house. Like everything about it looked fantastic. And I could not honestly figure out what was wrong with it. So I got a hold of the listing agent um, to get as much information as I could. And I was actually provided with, um, you know, the, the previous inspection report. Now the inspection report actually looked great. It was one of the better inspection reports I've seen as of late, but there was also um, a finding of termite activity on the property. Okay. Now that's pretty common in North Carolina. And as long as it's not a complete infestation, it's something that can be taken care of pretty easily, but it is something that scares people away. So I was able to find that out and, um, you know, it's my duty then to give that information to my buyers so that they can be informed. And then at that point, it's their choice whether they want to continue on with potentially making an offer and purchasing this home or not, but it is my duty. Absolutely. It is in the job description for me to provide because at that point it's something that they would call material fact. Okay. So it's not only the listing agent's duty to disclose that, right? I mean, isn't, but it's also the the buyer's agent's duty to look into that. Yes. 100% on both sides. Um, I mean, I definitely think it weighs on the listing agent a little bit more because they're supposed to be taking a look into a lot more info about the property, but a good buyer's agent is going to do just as much for sure. Have you had an experience with a buyer where they put a due diligence down, earnest money deposit down, and the deal just did not go through because of the inspection? I have. Yes. Tell me more about that story. Okay. Yeah. Um, You know, on the outside, which is why I stated before, we are not general contractors and we are not inspectors, um, Mm -hmm. but everything looked pretty solid. Um, But when it came to the inspection, there were several things that came back that were concern to the buyer and they wanted to negotiate and they wanted quite a bit, um, in the seller's market, which is, is tough to negotiate. Oftentimes we can negotiate because most people don't want to put their home back on the market, but there are sellers out there who will refuse to negotiate. And, you know, it just wasn't smooth in the negotiations. The listing agent wasn't cooperative. There were things that we felt should have been disclosed, but were not disclosed. And at the end of the day, I actually was able to negotiate almost $20,000 in repairs, but the sellers, or sorry, the buyers actually still at that point didn't feel comfortable anymore just because mm-hmm. of how the negotiations went and how long mm-hmm. it took to get there. And okay. they just ultimately decided to walk away from the purchase and lose that due diligence. They felt that that was a better decision at that point than moving on with that transaction. 
So yes, I mean, it does happen. Um, I would say it doesn't happen to me a lot, but mm-hmm. if you don't have the right agent, um, it could happen to you a lot more. Well, you know, the the key factor is, is that you were able to negotiate it down $20,000. So it would have cost about 20000 to repair uh, the, the situation. Am I right? Yes. Uh, in this specific scenario, it was a, a VA loan, and they only okay. allow 6% of the purchase price to mm-hmm. go towards repairs from the like seller concessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just to prevent VA loans from being like flips because they don't, that's not what a VA loan is meant for. Mm-hmm. Um, so 20000 was as much as I could actually get them. Um, and I would say it would have gotten pretty close to making all the necessary repairs, at least anything that was a major issue. Right. Okay. So um, I want to basically talk about a success story. Could you tell me about something that you've experienced recently that it seemed difficult from the beginning, but at the end, very end, it turned out exactly the way the buyer was, was hoping for. Yeah, for sure. Um, actually the most recent couple that I got under contract um, when I was first getting to know them, they did not know much about this process. They had moved to the USA in 2001 and bought a home and had not really dealt with anything in regards to purchasing or, or selling a home since then. And um, they just had no idea what was going on. And mm-hmm. at first it was very tough. Uh, we were all over the place. They wanted something one day that they didn't want the next. We had an offer out on a home that almost got accepted. And thankfully we pulled it in time that, that it did not because they ultimately decided that's not what would be the best for them. But we just kept working diligently to find their dream home. And it was tough because they wanted a nice older home with a lot of acreage. And there's just not a ton of that around this area. And um, I kept, you know, working hard on it. We were out at showings one night and one of them got canceled. And instead of just giving up and going home, I was like, let me pull up what's in this area. Maybe I can find us some other houses to go to. Mm -hmm. And I found us two more houses to go to. And the second one that we went to, it was a little bit of a drive and we almost decided that it wasn't worth it. But we said, you know what, let's just go. It looks pretty good uh, in the pictures and like it has some potential. So we drive out there and it's exactly what they were looking for the whole time. Um, There, we got a lucky situation where they had just posted pictures of the property so they hadn't had a a lot of showings yet because they didn't have pictures before Mm -hmm. and we were one of the first ones in there so we went right home Um, and this is the full-time agent part i went home i filled out the offer Um, i i advised them on what terms i thought would shut the show down to prevent anyone else from being able to get in that door and we got a call 45 minutes later and they got their dream home um, for a great price and all in one night unexpectedly when we didn't even have a plan to you know look at that house and they cried on the phone and those are the times where you know this is the most rewarding but had I not gone back and you know got on that right away communicated with the listing agent to let him know an offer was on the way then we may have ended up in a competition for the house and who knows how it would have went from there so so this is interesting you mentioned terms that were just you couldn't you couldn't terms. Give me an example in your experience, what kind of terms 
kind of put you to the edge where they were able to say, yes, I want, I'll take this contract. I'm going to accept it. Yeah. Um, well, these were cash buyers, so that okay. certainly helps. Um, cash is very powerful very at any time because it's it's a safe transaction. Um, mm-hmm. The seller does not have to worry about a loan potentially falling through for some reason right. and having to put their home back on the market. Um, but if there's not cash involved, then any amounts of cash that can be put down in deposits to make that a stronger deal. And that's where the terms start to come in, which is like the North Carolina due diligence uh, fee that you pay uh, for the seller to take the home off the market. You have time to inspect it and decide whether you want to continue on with that purchase or not. Those higher deposits right now in this competitive market are what is most often winning an offer or shutting the show down before you know others can have that opportunity um, because it, again it creates a safety net for the seller. They know if someone puts down a large amount of cash on the house that they're probably not going to walk away from that. Um, Mm -hmm. So those terms are very important. And then just quicker closings, um, not asking the seller to pay for things. You just can't do that in a seller's market, which is what we're in right now. And um, you just have to make it the most attractive offer possible with great terms, shorter due diligence periods. But that's where if you're going to shorten a due diligence period, because that's the amount of time you have to inspect the house before Mm -hmm. you would also lose your earnest money deposit. You have to have the right agents that's going to be willing to tell you, you shouldn't put a high due diligence on this house because it's going to have a lot of things come up in the inspection. And if you choose to put down $20,000 on this house and then there's all these things wrong with it, you will lose that $20,000 and you have to have an agent that's willing to be honest with you about the potential for losing it and willing to walk you away from a house that might lose you that great amount of money. So, yeah. Now I also want to talk about working with an investor because we're talking about, you know, those that are interested in purchasing either their first home, second home, et cetera. But what about working with an investor, someone who's interested in renovating, rehabbing a home, have you had experience in that realm? Absolutely. Um, and my team leader helps out a lot with that, which again is why being part of a team, I think is, is very beneficial both for an agent and for someone who has, is hiring an agent. Um, it's just having that extra knowledge. And yeah, I mean, we, we know enough about working with investors to you know, get them to sign on to, to work with us ex- exclusively. And it is a different realm. I mean, they're looking mm-hmm. to make a profit on the purchase. So if they're going up on, against people on properties that are just looking for a home to live in, mm-hmm. and there's 100 buyers for every house that's listed right now, then that multiple offer crazy situation is not always the best option for them because they're having to pay more than, you know, what they should to make that profit that they need to make. So sometimes it's about having that right agent that's going to take a look at you know the properties that have slipped under the radar that aren't a mess but maybe just need a little bit of tlc and could then be put on the market for a pretty considerable profit and um you know it really depends on what kind of work they're willing to do there are investors that want a a home that's ready that they don't have to do much to and there are investors who want to take a home that's almost falling apart and rehab it entirely. And um, you just have to 
to have the knowledge and the strength. Um, so I think investors, they really should focus, especially on having an agent that works with a team so that they have more heads um, and more people to depend on. Because okay. when you're investing money like that in real estate, it's very important that you're making wise decisions. If you're going to rent the property out, that they provide rental comps. If you're going to resell the property, that the agent shows them what kind of uh, profit they're going to make, what homes are selling for in that area that are comparable and are updated. Providing all this information to an investor is very important. Um, you have to gain their trust and they need to know that their, their, their ultimate goal is to make money and they need to know they're going to do that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this call today for my audience. And join us again next week to listen to more of real estate and, you know, about basically about purchasing properties in the, in the market today. There's so much to learn. So I want to thank you again, and I will talk with you soon. All right. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Welcome to the Improved Credit and Finance Show. This is Wanda Strickfaden, owner of Improved Credit here in the Carolinas. Today's subject is how to avoid bankruptcy. Now, I know you've heard this process before, probably through social media or online, about paying your bills on time, making sure that you don't borrow more than you can afford. Those are basic information that all of us should follow. But what about if you're at a place where you have borrowed more than you can afford and you're not able to pay your bills on time? What do you do then? Well, I'm going to give you advice that most people may try to steer away from, but I embrace, and I'll tell you why. I've been in business with repairing credit for now for, for the last 21 years, and I've helped thousands of clients get out of debt and build their credit back up to a place where they never thought they could ever buy a home again, and they were able to buy, or a place where they could get a car loan at a very good interest rate. So believe me when I tell you there are ways to get out of debt. Now, the way to avoid bankruptcy is whenever you're at a place where you're in financial distress and you know that you cannot afford to pay your everyday bills, but you have other debts that need to be paid. Remember that that's a place where you can actually start looking for other options. Now, each of your revolving debtors will have some kind of hardship program available that you can actually request and ask about. So whenever you talk to a credit card company or a lender, always ask them, is there a hardship program that you would have available? And explain your story about your financial distress. Once you explain what's happening with your finances and why you can't afford to pay the minimum payment, they may refer you to a department that will help you with a hardship program. Now, keep in mind that hardship programs are temporary. They may put you in a three-month plan or a six-month plan. And those hardship programs may entail a reduced interest rate of down to 0% of your APR so that you can pay towards the principal. Or they may freeze your payments where they give you some kind of financial relief. But this is temporary. So if you know that your situation is not temporary and that you're going to need some sort of assistance that may take longer than three or six months, then this option may not be the best option for you. Now, the other option is settling your debts for less than what you owe. I've actually been helping my clients for the last 21 years become debt-free through debt settlement. And I can tell you that it's been one of the most rewarding 
process that I've been able to experience for my clients. Why? Because when they come to me, they may come to me with $35,000 worth of debt. By the time they finish their process, I was able to save them over $25,000 in debt with our debt settlement program. So believe me when I tell you that that may be your best option. So when you think about that, you're probably wondering, well, how can I settle a debt if I am still making payments? Maybe they're not on time, but I'm trying to make my payments and it's still an active account. That's the thing. When you settle your debt, it actually has to be a, a closed account and it has to go into collections before you even have the opportunity to settle that bill. So if, if you're wondering how this is going to impact your credit, it is going to impact it in a negative way. But if you think about it, if you are borrowing more than you can afford, meaning that your balances are over 50% of your limit, if your payments are sporadic where you're on time one month late the next, that in itself is hurting your credit. So if you close your account and you stop making your payments so that it can go into collections, yes, you're going to experience an, a credit score decrease with all three credit bureaus. And it's, it may be quite dramatic. It may be quite drastic. Maybe a 50-point decrease, even up to a 100-point decrease because of that choice that you've made. But it's going to benefit you in the long run. And I'll tell you why. The monthly payments that you're paying on your active accounts is something that you can put in savings instead. So if you're paying $200 on a revolving debt, like a Bank of America credit card, in 10 months, you'll have $2,000 saved. You may be able to settle your debt for that amount in 10 months. So if you really focus in on making sure that you're going to take that money and you're going to put it in savings so that you can settle the debt within a certain time frame, you're going to notice that within that time frame, you will be debt free. And that's what your goal is. At the end of the day, you don't want to keep paying a minimum payment on a revolving debt that may take five, 10 years to pay off with interest when you can actually settle the debt for less and then be able to start fresh and have even better credit. Now, yes, your credit scores will decrease. Yes, you won't be able to borrow from that revolving debt or that loan. But at the end of the day, you will be debt free. And that's the goal. Now, there is a way to revive your credit after settling your debt, which means that you can activate another credit card. I don't recommend going into debt this time around, though. Really pay attention to how much you're borrowing on your credit and only utilize revolving debt to help improve your score instead of decrease it. So if you have a $300 limit on a credit card, never ever go over 50% of that limit. Always stay below 150 at all times. And only utilize that credit card to help activate your scores, to help improve it. So if you have it in your budget to use that card for gas purposes only or for groceries, knowing that you have it in your budget to pay off that balance the following month, that is what I would recommend using those cards for. For just to basically improve your credit, nothing else. And then eventually, the goal is to be able to purchase a home. If you need a vehicle, the goal is to be able to go to your local bank or credit union and get a loan at a very good interest rate. So you want to be wise with your credit decisions from that day forward and make sure that you don't go into debt. The goal is to build in assets. Mm -hmm. And in order for you to build in assets, you have to have a very high credit score to be able to achieve those goals. So that is 
a, a quick tip on how to avoid bankruptcy. Now, if you would like to listen to more of this and go into a deeper subject about how to avoid bankruptcy, I will be teaching a Zoom class on Thursday, every Thursday, once a month. Now, you want if you want to find out our schedule, go to our website, www.improvecreditllc.com. It'll show you our next Zoom session. If you'd like to reach us directly, feel free to call us at 704-877-8739 so we can speak to you further about your credit needs and help you schedule a one-hour credit consultation. Thank you for listening this week and stay tuned for our next podcast coming up soon.